This summer, Coors Light wants you to retire, even if it's only temporary. Take a break from your nine to five for nine holes of golf. Trade those spreadsheets for a bingo card. Or swap your office chair for a water aerobics floaty. This summer, welcome to temporary retirement. Coors Light, made to chill. Copyright 2023, Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. Well, I knew the playoff was a farce. You knew it was a farce. Anytime you have something that's disguised as a four-team playoff and you've got five Power Five conferences participating, plus the group of five, somebody's going to get the gold mine and somebody's going to get the shaft, as they say in country music. I want you to get it all out in the opening segment of today's show. Your frustration with Dan Lanning and the Ducks and the way they played on Friday in the Pac-12 championship game. Your frustration with the SEC, the Southeastern Conference. Alabama upsets Georgia in the SEC title game, causes some havoc with the college football playoff selection committee. Florida State undefeated, doesn't get in. If Oregon had won on Friday and, you know, not been convincing in the victory, does anybody else think the Ducks would have got left out? Get it all out. Opening segment. Tell me how much you don't like Oregon's bowl matchup against the homeschooled kids from Liberty. <laughs> Playing in the Fiesta Bowl. Liberty? Give me Liberty or give me... Get it all out. 503-417-7575. How frustrated are you? What bugs you on a Monday right at 3 o'clock? Oh, and I've got a dandy for you. I don't want to share it yet. My what bugs me is going to have to uh, have to happen later in the show when Anna joins. Because my what bugs me, um, you know, got me in a little trouble. And I want you to uh, tell me if you would have been as ticked off as I was in seeing this. But I want you to get it all out. I want your phone calls. What do you make of what the selection committee did? What did they get right? What did they get wrong? What do you make of a Rose Bowl semifinal matchup that gives us Alabama against Michigan? Keith Jackson would have went, ah, you got it half right. Uh, you know, what What do you make of the Sugar Bowl? The matchup that gives us Texas against Washington. A lot of fans in the Pacific Northwest, Washington fans in particular, trying to get to New Orleans for that game finding it's difficult to get there, it's expensive to get there, doesn't really work for them, but they want to go see their team. Tell me what you make of a of a bowl system that has Oregon within, you know, one drive, one score of being uh, locked up with Washington and possibly being the conference champion, and, uh, you know, Oregon not winning that game and falling all the way to a matchup against Liberty. Tell me what you make of Aiden Childs jumping in the transfer portal. University of uh, Oregon is feasted in the transfer portal. Oregon State is seeing players jump into the transfer portal. D 
Do you like the portal? Do you hate the portal? Do you hate what college football has become? Do you accept what it's become? Do you blame Aiden Childs at all for getting into the portal? He is going into the portal. He thanked uh, his fans and Oregon State fans on social media. He is off, uh, presumably, to see what's out there for himself. I don't blame him one bit. How about you? 503-417-7575. we got great guests today. Trent Bray will be joining us, the new coach at Oregon State. He's hiring a bunch of Oregon State alumni to be the position coach, the offensive coordinator, the offensive line coach. What are Trent Bray's plans with this coaching staff? We'll also uh, play Punch It Audio. We'll take a trip around the world of sports, of course. But I want your phone calls right off the top of the show today. What is on your mind? What did the committee get right? What did it get wrong? Are you turned off by what you see in college athletics? Uh, and how about Oregon's performance in in a big stage in a big game? Dan Lanning in Oregon. I got I to gotta tell you, I joined the show via phone on Friday, and the thing that's ringing in my head was, you know, I made the comment that Oregon was locked in, that, you know, was very focused, that Oregon, you know, and the thing that I that I wanted to talk about off the top of the show today was how quiet Oregon was. It was focused, but it was quiet. It was almost silent during their warm-ups, which is a big change from the Week 7 game at Washington where they were kind of jumping around and barking and yelling, this is our house before the game at Husky Stadium. They lost that one by three points. They lost this one by three points. Certainly, as I look at the game uh, on Friday, I'm left thinking, gosh, did I did I miss the fact that Oregon was focused but a little bit quiet? Like, you know, was it a... Was it a matter of energy in the first quarter? Was it a matter of the stage being so big that they were a little wide-eyed? I don't know what else to make the way that Oregon started that game. It was really disappointing to see them look like they were not the better team. After all week long, I had said, I think they're the better team. They weren't the better team. And and I think Washington left no doubt about that and beating them a second time. I want your phone calls. 503-417-7575. We're going to start... In Eugene, Fox Sports Eugene, Cam's listening. Cam, what's on your mind? Hey, John, it has been a very busy 7224, however many hours it's been since Friday afternoon. Uh, Not a big reaction to Dan Landing losing to Washington again. Not a big reaction. Uh, Frankly, I'm I'm trying to think about it. I can't remember anything that Dan Landing's won. Uh, Can you? Um, He won a lot of games. He's got got a good record. In all seriousness, I think he's done a pretty good job from the start of the season, tamping down the out-of-control stuff. They got the penalties. They looked really professional on Friday. In fact, they looked kind of boring. I, I think Dan Landing needs to remember what Mike Bellotti used to talk about, about playing within yourself, but finding that 1% out of control, as Mike Bellotti used to call it, while you're playing within yourself to really get the most out of it. He's got the professional look now, but it was just I it, I didn't see it before the game like you did, but I saw it during the game. It was too quiet. There wasn't enough juice. Yeah, the the pregame juice was absent and I was on the field. Oregon was very businesslike, but quiet. And and I took that to be a positive before the game. And then I walked down to the Washington side right before kickoff, and one of the Washington assistant coaches, the wide receiver coach, was yelling at the Oregon sideline, we all want this. We all want this. And I thought, gosh, what a contrast between the Oregon guys on one side who looked like they were getting ready to perform a surgery 
and the Washington players on the other side who were ready to run through a wall. And as the game started, I got to be honest, like it was on my mind as I watched Washington start with way more energy. Was it as simple as that? And look, when I look at Dan Lanning, and I wrote this on Sunday morning, if, if you are trying to evaluate Dan Lanning, what I'm looking for, it, this is not on the job training. This is not, I need him to learn and progress as a coach. That's not what I'm saying. But I am going to say that I want to see a trajectory with him. And 10 wins last season in a Holiday Bowl was, was you know, bested by 11 wins in a Fiesta Bowl. That trajectory is promising. If it were the other way around, I'd be more concerned. And it's, frankly, one win in the regular season difference, but it's still one win difference. You know, he has had a, uh, a, an easy time with everybody in the Pac-12 except his rivals. You look at his three losses in conference play, it's twice to Washington and once to Oregon State. And then you go back to last season, two seasons ago, another Washington lost. And so you're looking at three losses to Washington and one to Oregon State, and he's beat everybody else in conference play. And so I'm left kind of going like, you know, there's a threshold there and a ceiling there that he's bumping up against that he has to find a way through. Steve is in Eugene, also on Fox Sports Eugene. Go ahead, Steve. Wow. Really? Do you want Slick Willie or Cristobal to coach the Ducks? This guy, Lanning, is doing a fantastic job. Yeah, he uh, he got a little too aggressive at Washington. Yep. And this, the game on Friday, man, that was that was wow. <laughs> that was a, a letdown. They, they came out so freaking flat. They couldn't run the ball. You got the team that can run the ball wins the game. Uh, so. That, yeah, that's kind that's of a good, uh, my it, statement it, about the Ducks. It's a good point, and 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 you know, I I think it's fair to nitpick Dan Lanning a little bit, right? That's what the money's for. That's he's making the money. You can nitpick him. You can nitpick him to a certain extent because we can all see what was wrong. It, the first game uh, at Washington, yes, he should have taken the points. He should have kicked a couple field goals. It would have been a very different outcome. Um, the the game on Friday, I, I see I see it as a different thing. I sort of believe I'm a believer that as a program, you've got to sniff around success before you finally break through with it. I I think I've seen it time and again, programs or NFL teams that will get to the NFC Championship game or the AFC Championship game, and they have a they're just not quite ready yet. And Oregon had that feel to me on Friday. Michael Penix Jr. was better under the big lights and the bright stage and with all the marbles out on the table, Michael Penix Jr. was just better. Bo Nix looked a little bit shell-shocked. He looked a, he was wide-eyed a little bit in the early part of the game. He did some things that he doesn't normally do. He threw an interception. There was a foolish throw. I have not seen Bo Nix do that all season. But I want to know what you saw. Let's go to Klamath Falls. Daryl's in Klamath Falls. Daryl, welcome to the show. Hi, uh, thank you. First time calling in. I just wanted to say that I, I watched all the college football this weekend. I love college football, but because of the big money moving in, and it has been for the last three decades, we're seeing corporations fight each other on a TV episodic every week instead of a football game. Um, and, and it's not unlike watching Dancing with the Stars or The Bachelor or anything like that. We're seeing the same quote-unquote celebrities move around through the same this portal and play for different teams and we're watching them represent a different brand every week 
but it's just a cliffhanger. It's not a, a game that we love anymore. It's a TV show, and that's how the college football playoff worked out. Who's going to get the highest ratings? Who's going to put the most butts in seats? Not who's going to give us the best game. And so it may change next year when they go to the 12-team playoff, but I just don't see it with all the big money moving in. These players don't even have to have a GPA anymore, and that used to be the best part of it. We were watching student-athletes, premier student-athletes compete, and now we're watching the JV NFL in a cliffhanger every week until we get to this where we all light up the torches and pitchforks and go storm the castle because our favorite brand didn't make it into the big TV show for the rose ceremony. Yeah, I think, you know, you're hitting on something that I've seen college fans frustrated by. The fact that their college game is now looking more and more like the NFL and feeling more like the NFL. And the decisions that are being made feel out of control of the teams even. The teams that are playing on the field. We want our postseason to be settled on the field. In the NFL, this would not fly. That, you know, hey, there's uh, there's only four spots and there's five divisions and we're going to have a committee. Some of the committee members, by the way, have never coached or never played. And this committee is going to tell us who the best teams are. And that's how it's going to go. It's insanity. It's absurd. Mike is in Wilsonville. Mike, welcome to the show. Hey, John. Uh, man, first of all, people don't know anything about what's going on. Oregon Ducks was destined to lose because they had an easy schedule. They ain't played nobody. Even the Washington Husky coach said, we were prepared because we had played a lot of ranked teams. You can't play cream puffs and expect to go and win a championship. It don't work like that. Plus, Dan Lennon. What, what you guys saw from the Ducks not having any, excuse me, offenses because they had a high school coach dictating the offense. You can't, you can't, the guy's inexperienced. You got a 37-year-old high school coach dictating the offense. It's, it's not going to work. Also, John, I want to say that the Ducks wore um, the cleats of um, Deion Sanders. They had his cleats on. Shout out to Dion. Also, shout out to Dion for being Sports Illustrated Sports Person of the Year. You, you know, you made to- a really good point about Oregon playing cupcakes, and I I thought Colorado was going to be a good test for them, and they weren't. And if Colorado had been better, are you saying it's Colorado's fault? It's it's Utah's fault? It's that you know because Oregon schedule, Mike. John, John, are you there? Let me let me let me put it this yeah. way. I'm here. If the Ducks had had the schedule that Colorado had, the Ducks would be four and eight today, folks. They wouldn't be eleven and two. They would be four and eight because Colorado had a tougher schedule than the Ducks. So you guys want the Ducks to somehow magically be this great team when they have this little cupcake schedule? And also in the now, Fiesta now, Mike, Bowl, come on, TC, the- TCU. TCU, Nebraska, Colorado State, USC, Oregon played USC, Arizona State. I'm, this is Colorado's schedule. Oregon played Arizona State. Stanford, they both played. Colorado played UCLA. Colorado played Oregon State. Arizona, Washington State. What are you talking about? The the schedule for Colorado, no, really no different than Oregon's. 
No, no, because no, because when when Colorado first schedule was first shown, everybody kept saying, "Man, that's a tough schedule." And then when yeah, 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 when yeah, yeah. right, I know what you're and saying. When, I know what you're saying. And then, but TCU and Nebraska didn't end up being good. Well, they, it was put it this way: the Ducks didn't have a, a great schedule. Yeah, um, I would argue that. I would argue that. I would leave Colorado out of it if you're making this and, point. You know, in a, and right now you know, the Fiesta that, Bowl. Yeah. The team that they plan in the Fiesta Bowl, Liberty, the Liberty, all they, that's the state college. The Liberty have yeah. not played any ranked team. They haven't played They're anybody. Played. Liberty hasn't, Liberty hasn't even played a Power 5 team. That's right. How about that's that? The Ducks, How about that? The Ducks, I, I'm just what I'm saying. The Ducks, man, don't nobody respect Yeah, but the, the Oregon Ducks, doesn't man. control that, Mike. Like, I, I get what you're saying, but I'm just saying also, Oregon can't go to the stadium and look over and see Colorado on the other sideline and go, no, 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 they're not good. That's a four and eight team. We need, you know, we need to see uh, Michigan today. They don't have control of that. And you know, so if you want to say that Oregon wasn't prepared for a quality opponent against Washington, we can have that discussion. But let's not compare them to Colorado or somebody else. Mark, go ahead. Oh my God, that's got to be the most uninformed call of the year. At the at the end of the year, can we do a New Year's presentation? Because that was like the most the stupidest phone call I've heard. Did Texas Tech get into a, a bowl game this year? Because didn't Oregon yes. beat? Yes. So yes. Colorado beat no winning teams this year. They didn't beat one winning team all year. They were projected to get four wins. And that's exactly what they got. There was no big story. They were the last place team in the Pac-12. Do you guys know what color the 12th place ribbon is? I'm just curious. Mike is a clown <laughs> trying to bring up Colorado. It's, it, their schedule, obviously, John, we play the same teams. We're in the same conference. It's, he's the most uninformed caller. But I wanted to ask you guys a question. Um, if, if In Vegas, if this was the 12-team playoff, because that crappy team that Oregon – that Mike's talking about would be in the playoff next year. Okay, we'd be playing the nine seed Missouri, and so next year we finally get our an NFL style real playoff, and we're going to find out on the field who deserves to be champion or not. But yeah, who would be yeah. the favorite in a twelve team playoff this year? Who would be the favorite? I say it's Georgia. I'm, I would say I Georgia. Think, uh... They're not in the tournament. I mean, if their excuse for leaving Florida State out is who are the four best teams? Georgia has to be in there. They're the two-time defending champs. They that's where like that's points. where the committee got in trouble, Mark. They, the committee got in trouble because they're arguing, hey, we're picking the best four teams, which they should have just said is, hey, we don't love that Florida State's quarterbacks hurt. Because, you know, if you want to say four best teams, isn't Georgia in the conversation? Okay, so wait, Ohio State's quarterback is in the portal, right? Shouldn't we drop them to the Liberty game? And put Oregon in with Missouri or whoever Ohio State's playing. Because, I mean, that's another thing. Oregon, we we don't we're not in charge of who we get to play. Obviously, we should be playing Ohio State. That's the way it used to be. But they took control of the Rose Bowl from us in 1998. This is the final stab at the end for the Pac-12 in the back, giving Oregon liberty. What a joke! It's a it's a, just a joke. The whole thing. Why is LSU got to beat them now? You yeah, got to beat them now. Destroy <laughs> yeah. They have to get yeah. mad and destroy them. Pac-12 teams, the, the loser of the Pac-12 championship game, by the way, 0-11 in their subsequent bowl game, large part due to players uh, saying, hey, we were this close to winning a conference championship. I'm out. I'm not playing in the bowl game. 
Um, let's take one more, and then we're going to go to Trent Bray, the Oregon State football coach. Bruce is in Portland. Bruce, go ahead. Hey, John. Um, yeah, I like following Mike, too. Mike, everybody plays the same schedule in the Pac-12 pretty much, except for a couple of preseason games. And prior to the preseason and the season in general, a lot of these Pac-12 teams were ranked, and things just didn't work out. But that being said, um, Friday night was obviously a disappointment for Duck fans. I think Dan Lanning went in. I don't understand coming out of the gate, three passes, three passes, three passes, three and out, three and out, three and out. Yeah. You know, we had problems running against Washington up in Seattle. You know, they had our number up there. Why we didn't scheme another little idea and something. We had problems Friday night running the ball. And and our um, offense, man, Washington had their full complement of receivers for the first time all year. And it doesn't look like we were ready for that either. It's just like uh, I completely outcoached, in my opinion, in this game. Yeah. You know, every and I I don't give any credit to Vegas either for giving us a nine and a half point you know spread on that game. That was motivation enough for Washington, like they needed any more. You know, all week looking at that that point spread. Um, but uh, by the fourth quarter, Oregon's D was just gassed. You know, they were on the field what 13 out of the first 15 minutes of the game, and couldn't we couldn't stop the run against Washington. We you know we couldn't. Normally all year we've been great at making adjustments. Halftime adjustments, between series adjustments, but it didn't seem to be the case on uh, on Friday night. But uh, and then in regard to the FBS, the playoff, the committee got it kind of right. They couldn't put Georgia in despite them being one of the best teams because Alabama beat them. You know, and I think John, like you said, I think if Oregon would have won, we might have been snubbed. Yeah, um, I think so. Really I, been a bummer. I, I think that I I think it was going to end badly no matter what. It, it was a game of musical chairs. And the music stopped, and a 13-0 and team had nowhere to sit down. And it's that simple. It's that dumb. It's stupid that the college football playoff doesn't have uh, automatic qualifications. It, it's dumb that the Pac-12 conference disintegrated. It's ridiculous that athletes aren't getting compensated, and the NIL piece of this has turned into unrestricted free agency. It's, it's really alarming. And a guy who is stepping into it full force, Trent Bray, coming up next. Oregon State's new football coach. He's adding to his staff. What are his plans? How does he feel? What is going to be the identity at Oregon State? We're going to talk about all that with Trent Bray next. And I want more of your phone calls, so keep holding if you're on hold. We're going to continue taking phone calls after the Trent Bray interview. Leave it here. Nobody's happy. The Washington fans are mad because they have to go to the Sugar Bowl. Florida State fans are mad. College football fans are mad because their star player, their favorite player, is getting in the portal today. 500 scholarship players jumping in the transfer portal. Uh, you know who's not mad? Trent Bray's not mad. He is the new coach at Oregon State, defensive coordinator, turned head coach, number 44 in your program, joining us now. Trent Bray, hey, congratulations. I appreciate that. What that feel like to you? Uh, it's a great honor, I mean, to be, you know, entrusted with, with leading this program. And, and these great, great young men, I'm, I'm excited and, and ready to get to work. Give me an idea of growing up, dad's practices. What do you pick up from osmosis being around dad and the teams he was coaching? Yeah, I, th- I think just from a young age, just absorbing all the, just un- you know, unconsciously absorbing all that teaching and how how you deliver information to people, how you motivate. You know how you go about your work, your work ethic, all all those things for a long time as I was growing up, um, just taking it all in and really influenced the way I, I work. 
Now, this is going to sound mean, and I don't mean it mean, okay? I'm okay. going to say that up front, yeah. all right? But I had a uh, somebody who was in your high school who had mm-hmm. a – his brother played basketball with you who told me, Trent Bray is such a great story. He wasn't a great athlete. He, he self-made. He worked hard. He was smart as a player. It made him better. Is there truth in that? Because you had – I mean, to play D1 football, you've got to be an athlete. Yeah, uh, there is a lot of truth to that. I mean, yeah, I, I, I was athletic, but we, it, in relation to everyone else around me, I was probably in the middle to below. Um, so I had to make up for that step slow or two steps slow that I was, and that's where the film study and being able to see things fast and move fast was so important to me. Does that impact you as a coach? Do you look for guys who are like that? You're looking for the cerebral part, absolutely. That's part of the evaluation. Um, but then getting into coaching, that, that's what I love to do is take the guys with those great physical attributes and give them the part of the game that made me great, um, the, the cerebral part, and really help them get to the next level and improve their game. Give us an idea of you know this, this first week on the job. You know, It's got to feel like it's swirling around you. There's probably a million things you have to do. How do you prioritize you know, uh, connecting with people, building your staff, starting to look at the portal and recruiting and what you need. How do you, how do you put that all in order? Yeah, it was it was really number one players because that's what matters most. Um, getting around them, um, starting to sell or you know deliver. Hey, how, this is how what the picture is going to look like. Here's how we're moving. And then as you build the staff, that's the next focus. Okay, now put these guys, you know, around. Okay, who's out there doing what that I like not only like offense from an offensive standpoint, who creates problems for me is what I looked at, what mm-hmm. teams, what styles, and then, okay, identify that, and then who's the guy I want to lead that thing, and then, then going out and getting him. You're, I'm looking at the staff that you're bringing in. There's definitely some ties to Oregon State, guys like Ryan Gunderson as your offensive coordinator, Kyle Devan, he's on the offensive line, making me feel old now. These are guys I covered, <laughs> and so... Uh, you know, why was that important to you, to get guys who understood Oregon State? Uh, I think it's important for a lot of reasons. Um, they, they know how great this place is, but they also know the challenges and the holes people are going to try to poke in us when they're recruiting against us. Um, and then loyalty and trust is huge to me. Um, and if I can surround myself with good people, great coaches, and people that are, have a sense of loyalty and, and, and you can trust, that, that's the most valuable thing to me. That recruiting piece, you talk about players. Let's start with the defensive side. You know, I have to think that retaining you speaks love language of the defensive players. Do you feel, you know, solid given the portal and the allure of the portal? That you, do you feel like you can hold the defense together? I, I feel like I feel like we can. I mean, it's it's it, you you might you know we're going to lose one or two maybe. Uh, we hope we don't. Um, but they're getting called from they're getting calls from schools you know all all day long. Uh, that's just the way college football is. There are no rules. People are calling players illegally, but you, you, it's happening. You, my job is to, to sell this place and sell what we're going to do. Hopefully they feel, right, through our time together and their trust in me, that, that they still feel that this is a valuable place to them that can get them to where they want to go. That's the big thing. That lack of oversight concerns me. You know, if you, and, you, mm-hmm. and it's out in the open, Every, not just you, but other coaches are talking about it. Yeah. How, how bad is that? Oh, it's 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 a big problem, big problem, and it, it it's like you said, they, everyone knows about it. It's not even a secret, and nothing nothing's being done. Nothing, 
it's not even being talked about by you know the the, the powers that be. So it's it's a concern. It's it's definitely uh, not a fun or a good thing. No, it's not good for the game. It's not good. I don't think mm-hmm. it's good for the players themselves. I mean, there's supposed to be a process to this, and the players are supposed to be allowed to go, okay, I'll go into the portal. Maybe this isn't a good place for me. Let's see what's out there. But all this is happening in front of the portal. Yeah, there's no question. It, it, most kids that go in the portal have already talked to schools and know they have something. And the other part is I, a lot of them are being lied to about the number you know, of the dollars that they're going to get. And so it's, it's just a, it's a problem. It's a bad thing. Trent Bray is our guest. He is the head coach at Oregon State. Uh, when will you get focused on the defensive side of the ball and your hires there? Was there an order of operations here where you're trying to go offensive guys first, or did it just unfold that way? The, the importance first was offensive coordinator, offensive line. Um, I knew I was retaining fence, so three right there, bang, because that's, that's not the side of the ball that I touched every day. You know, and, and they, that's where the most uncertainty would have been, right? Who's, who's who and what are we going to do on offense? They know on defense we're going to stay in the same ballpark. Um, so that was the importance. And then getting the defensive coaches, which I have, um, they just haven't been announced. But getting a great staff together that way was the next step. Yep. You feel like you got your defensive guys and you got a coordinator? Yep. Mm-hmm. How involved will you be on the defensive side, or you know how how will that be for you to try to be uh, you know more of a CEO role? Yeah, it, I mean it'll it'll be an adjustment, but the guy that I you know went after was a guy that we've clinicked together a ton. We speak the same language, we have the same vision. Um, so and then then again, that's where that trust comes in. Trust in what he's going to do. We've already talked about how we want to stay in this same world so these guys have consistency and we can keep building on the defensive success we've had for the last couple of years. It's interesting to me to kind of, you know, watch this and, you know, this is a different world than the world that your dad was in where he knew he had guys coming back the next year and you will soon be out recruiting. What will you sell at Oregon State? What are you selling to kids? Yeah, it's it's opportunity. There's a great opportunity here even in the even in the kind of uncertain space that we're in, uh, the opportunity to you know to, to win a lot of games, to be on a big stage, um, and then this is also also is a place of development. And no one, right, especially on the West Coast, has developed players like Oregon State guys that come in, great coaching. You're gonna you're gonna leave here a better player in person than when you walk in the door. And for the guys that value that part of it, you know, we'll continue to get guys like that, which is guys we want. Have you had a chance to exhale? Have you had a chance to, you know, the news conference happened and then it's just kind of been a swirl. You know, do you have a chance to kind of regroup and think about what you're going to do? You must have to do that amid all of this. Yeah, you do. You got to, you know, you got to pick your moments in the day where you, you put your phone down and don't answer it when it's still buzzing, you know, all the time. And then and, and just sit back and reflect on things. Um that that's the big thing is not making emotional rush decisions. Okay, I like this. Okay, sit on it, think about it, make sure it's still what you want to do after you after you let the emotional part go. I wrote about this the day that you were introduced, but you know, I I send photographers to the game because I'm writing on my own now and so I'll have to uh you know, send a photographer to the Arizona game or whatnot. And these are often people who don't know Oregon State. And I asked them to shoot the head coach, take pictures of the head coach and a few games, including the Arizona game, the photographer 
thought you were the head coach. It was just the way that you were carrying yourself on the sideline, the pacing back and forth, the steps that you're getting in, how you know how uh, how locked in you look. And I took that as a positive because that is a body language thing, and that is a positive thing. And and you know you must have on some level as you see this opportunity unfolding felt like you were ready for this what told you that you were ready uh you know it was it was really just trusting and believing in myself uh, once the opportunity kind of presented itself you know you looked at okay I, I love this place i love the kids in the locker room that i'm coaching and you know on offense and defense um this is where i want to be now okay you know, this is going to be new, so there's there's a little bit of, you know, nerves about that, but trusting and believing in myself, you know, as a leader, as a coach, you know, and as, as a mentor that I can get this done. You've got a big challenge in front of you. I think, you know, a lot of people are interested to see what you do with it. Um, Transfer portal, Aiden Childs jumps in today. Uh, you know, is, are you at a place with the game that you kind of just tip your cap, wish the kid well, or what do you say as a kid – do they even reach out to you before they announce they're going into the portal? Oh yeah, uh, Aiden came in and talked to me and to our new to our new offensive coordinator and told us. And uh, yeah, I don't I don't blame the kids at all. I mean, he he's a freshman that was recruited by a guy that that took off at, right after his freshman year. Uh, that's got to be hard on him. Um, so I, yeah, I'm not mad at him. I wish him the best, and and we'll move on and 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 you know go out and be aggressive in the in the portal and we got good quarterbacks here so we're going to be just fine but yeah i wish him good luck and you know no hard feelings at all trent bray with us all right um i think uh a lot of people are wondering kind of what you are you know you're as you're recruiting will you be able to talk to the kids about the schedule you'll play i know that some of that has been formalized you probably know a lot more than we do how much can you share with potential recruits I share a little bit of, of knowledge that I know um, about, you know, at least the, the, not necessarily the exact this team, that team, but the, but the, what that schedule is going to look like, you know, how many of these kind of teams, these kind of teams. So you, you can, you can paint a picture of, of what that's going to look like for sure. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I kind of like that stuff matters to me. It matters to my friends, but I'm not sure. Does it matter to players? Like what kinds of things do they ask you about? At, at this time, like, you know, this thing happened so fast to them. It was on them right away. And then so everything is kind of just just like everybody else, kind of just in their face right now. And then they got all these people in their ear, you know, telling them this, telling them that. So it, it's really just, you know, getting them to relax. Like, don't, you don't have to do anything fast. You know, just look and see what this thing's going to look like, see where we're going to be. You know, and then and then you're going to have to make a decision. And I feel confident that when they do that, um, that they will see great value in this place, in who we're playing, their opportunity here to compete at a high level and do what they want to do, which is have an opportunity to play at the next level. Yeah, and I look even to next season, Trent, and I see, you know, an opportunity as you know, you, you know, you look at the schools that are highly ranked. You look at a school like Liberty, for example. They didn't play anybody. They're playing in a festival. I mean, there's a path. Yep. To the playoff, there's a path to the expanded playoff uh, for Oregon State and Washington State next season. I hope you find it. Uh, we'll get you back on. Good luck with what you're doing now. Just wanted to touch base with you, but congratulations. I appreciate that. Thanks for having me on. There he is, Trent Bray. Uh, I love what he had to say about Aiden Childs. If you're blaming Aiden Childs, you're missing the point of uh, what's going on in college football. And um, I want to. I want to. I want more of your phone calls. What do you make? Of the hire at Oregon State, 
Trent Bray taking the job. I think it was a position that Oregon State had to, absolutely had to move into. I think Scott Barnes, the athletic director, in some ways was boxed into that position because he's losing his offensive coordinator and his head coach, an offensive-minded guy. And if you're playing in today's world, you're going to hope that you better have a defensive coordinator who would be a candidate in that conversation. And if he is, gosh, that that's a lot that lines up in the corner for for Trent Bray. But you tell me, what do you make of it? What do you make of the position they're in? And what do you make of what you saw over the weekend, the last 72 hours? Uh, the college football playoff rankings, Florida State getting left out, Liberty playing Oregon, Liberty? The homeschooled kids from Liberty are playing Oregon? How did this happen? All of that, I want your phone calls. 503-417-7575. we got Punch It Audio coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. Anna will be with us as well. I've got a peeve. I, maybe I'm a bad human being. We'll find out in the 4 o'clock hour. Steven, uh, i got to ask you, I haven't gone to you yet. You tell me. Uh, as it pertains to Florida State, as it pertains to what we saw from Friday to Sunday, Oregon basically a no-show in the first quarter, scrambles back, you know, makes it a game in the Pac-12 championship game, but loses. Uh, you got Florida State after after uh, Alabama upsets Georgia. Florida State ends up uh, losing to undefeated team, not in the playoff. Georgia's out. They've been the number one team for all season long. Like, what do you make of what we just saw? Yeah, it's it's tough for me because on one hand, I want to see the quote-unquote best four teams in the nation play in the cultural playoff. But there has to be some point where we say on the field actually matters. And Florida State, they went out, they beat LSU, who's going to have the Heisman Trophy winner. They beat Florida in the last week of the season. Guess what? Alabama struggled with Auburn in the final final week of the season. But we all forget that because then they go and beat Georgia. And if we're taking the best four teams, Georgia's definitely in the top four teams. If you played the game today, Oregon and Washington, you know who's favored in that game? Oregon is going to be favored. So you could technically say Oregon is a better team. Like, It's one of those things where on the field matters at some point, but the committee just picks and chooses when they want to do it. And they wanted to put Alabama in. They wanted to put an SEC team, and they did that. So you know what? I'm okay with it. Like, I don't agree with it. I think Florida State should have got in over Alabama. Alabama has that one loss by double digits at home. Florida State... Didn't lose. They look fine. They're, they're really good defense. They deserve to get in the playoff. But So, I don't know. I it, It'll be nice going to the 12 team, but at the same time, most of these games last week wouldn't have mattered then if we have a 12-team playoff. Oregon-Washington, loser's still in. Georgia-Alabama, loser's still in. Like, it, it's, I don't know. It. I just don't like the whole college football system, but I love college football as a sport. But I, I just, I don't like the hypocrisy that they show every single time in the college football playoff. And it just it kind of came to a head with the very final one, which is kind of funny in that situation. What happens now to the conference championship games with a 12-team expanded playoff? Like, you know, you, you still... They're going to want to play them because television paid for those conference championship games when it cut the media rights deals with the respective conferences. They're not going to go away. But I'm looking at them and I'm going, at what point... You know, is that just a seeding game at that point, or is it an opportunity for the second-place team to play their way into an at-large situation? Like, what's happening to the conference championship games? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think you're right on that. Like, some games it's going to matter, right? I, I think if you look at the ACC title game, Florida State-Louisville, 
and we're getting a 12-team playoff. Louisville wins. They're in the playoff. If they lose, they're probably out of the playoff. Uh, same with the Big Ten, Michigan-Iowa. Iowa wins. They're in. If they lose, they're out. But I think a lot of times it's going to be where there's two teams in these conferences, and they're going to be in the playoff regardless. And now that we're losing the Pac-12 and it's only going to be the Power Four conferences, very likely that the top two teams that are playing in these games are going to make the playoffs whether they win or lose. So I think it loses a little bit of a luster, which – it's a little bit. It, it's sad for me. Like I, I love the fact that this is why college football is so great. Every game matters. Now that we're going to go to a twelve team, it's not going to matter as much. I think the NFL has it right in that you know you have your division winners uh, as you know they get an automatic berth into the playoffs, and then they do wild cards after that. The problem with college football is you don't have like you know we can say there are true. Four, you know, there's four power fours, and then there's this muddled mess of group of fives that, frankly, are not all that similar to each other. Well, and like, I also think, you know? and I also think that this year was very uh, inordinary that there were so many good teams. Even you know, even the committee said there's eight really good teams. Usually, there's not eight teams that can win a national championship. It's like three, maybe even two. So I think this year was a very different year. Where yeah, it would have been nice to have a 12 teamer this year because there was a lot of good teams. There wasn't really that one elite team. But I think, you know, for the most part, it's usually it's like, hey, is Georgia the best team in the league? The yeah. NFL's the same way, isn't it? Isn't there a lot of years where those, you know, those wild card games give you some good games and then there's some other years where we're like, hey, we know it's the Chiefs and the Bills in the AFC Championship. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. I just, yeah, I mean, it seems like more in the NFL it's a little more diverse, but maybe it's not if you go back and you look at the results of the actual game. So I'm with you on that. Um, but I don't know. But, but the, the thing the NFL does is they, they let it happen on the field. That's where it should be decided. And but I, think the com- I think the committee made a mistake in sort of admitting that they didn't think Florida State could compete for a championship with its current quarterback. Like, shouldn't they have just said, we think these are the four best teams and not said a peep after that? Some of the committee members are speaking out now saying... You know, they, they're actually kind of projecting in their minds what they think might happen. Yeah, that's the thing is they're digging themselves a bigger hole. They, they just have to say, say a statement and then leave it be and not comment about it anymore. And I think it would be a lot better than what they're doing at this point. It's because Florida State has won on the field. Like, there's no way you can look at what Florida State has done and said they don't deserve to compete for a national championship. It's not like Florida State is isn't a big program like that is an elite program a prestigious program you know you know what was it a year to, a year ago when Cincinnati makes the college football playoff yeah it's understandable there's a debate should they be in the college football playoff but this is Florida State like they've won national championships this is one of the biggest programs in the nation and the college football playoff committee says no we can't get you in because we need an SEC team in Alabama and, and I understand Alabama's a great team but I don't know. It just it, it's it's kind of wacky the way that they have it, and uh, so the twelve team will be nice for me as a you know as a gambler that wants to gamble on really good games. But uh, you know me just thinking about it subjectively, I kind of like the four. I would love a I would love an no, eight team. No, I, I love an this eight team. Four things a mess. It's, but, it's an absolute farce. But twelve and team, I think but twelve teams are going to be so many teams in there, John, that th- aren't competing for the title. Let's bring them in and let's settle it. There's some, that that happens in the NBA. Half the damn league gets to the playoffs. You know, in NHL, Major League Baseball expanded. The wild card's been a been a uh, been a success in baseball, and I'll I'll see it. I just want it to be settled on the field and not by some suit who has never played or never coached sitting in a room going, you know, I think this is the best team. Hell, I thought Oregon was better than Washington. Washington proved it on the field. If I was on the damn committee and the Pac-12 said, hey, we're just going to pick our conference championship by committee. They were a nine and a half point underdog 
Oregon's the champ, yeah. you know, and, and yet Washington wins the damn game. That's the thing. It's like uh, I, we had a caller earlier that said if you're, you know, power ranking teams right now in college football, who's number one is still probably Georgia, and they lost. They're not even in the college football playoff. So it, it's definitely not the best four teams. And even Liberty, you know. You, Liberty, I, Liberty is so funny. I would me. argue just, SMU is a much better team than Liberty, and the fact that they chose Liberty because they were thirteen and zero. Well, then maybe it's because they're on the field, and they win games. I don't know. Like they just pick and choose. They don't. They don't. They're not consistent in anything that they say. Let's go to the phones. Mike's in Seattle. Mike, go ahead. Boy, John, I've been on the phone now for how long? Let me look at my phone. Like forty minutes, and my head is hurting. I believe that this whole college football thing, I think it's going to spin into a into a big pile of mud, and they are alienating the people that care the most, which is the fans. And the fans still think of college football as, as like it was in the 60s or 70s. We've got to come to grips with it's not that way anymore. Every one of these players and coaches are almost like a, uh, almost like a newscast, you know. Back when Anna was doing news, you know, she read the script, right? She didn't write her own scripts. You know, she actually read what the editor wanted her to read. But it came out of her mouth, and we all thought it was coming from her. And um, there are puppets behind the, uh, you know, behind the curtain that are pulling all the strings, and I don't know how many more years this can go and keep everybody so enthralled with it. Yeah. Um, hey, I, I, I got to cut you off because I'm yeah. up against a break here, but I think you're right. I think we are spiraling toward a untenable position in college athletics. And I do think the consolidation that caused the end of the Pac-12 conference is part of this. It's part of kind of the uh, the television partners, the greed, the fact that there's no oversight over college football, that the conferences are all trying to kill each other and get more money. Um, all of that spiraling in a direction, along with the transfer portal, along with all of the lawsuits out there, that I think is ultimately going to leave us in a position where college football splinters away. I had kind of a weird outbound flight experience in flying to Las Vegas last week for the Pac-12 championship football game. I don't know if I'm a bad human being or maybe uh, it says nothing about me at all what happened on the outbound flight. It was an Alaska Airlines flight. I uh, I, pro- I won't tell this story without Anna being present because I think she and she can add some context to what happened. She'll be with us a little bit later this hour. Um, is it too early to do a what's your peeve? Maybe I'll do that as a what's your peeve. But a lot of people calling in on today's show to talk about what's wrong with the college football playoff. A lot of people uh, calling in to talk about Oregon and their performance. The uh, playoff in general, what's happening to college football. Some people don't like it. I want more of your phone calls. 503-417-7575. Now, I'm a big proponent of things being settled on the field, right? Like, Las Vegas sets a line for the conference championship games. But we don't immediately advance Oregon past Washington. We don't immediately advance uh, Georgia past Alabama just because they were favorites in those conference championship games. No, we allow it to be settled on the field. 
And so if you're an Oregon Duck fan and you are frustrated with the team's performance on Friday, I, you know, have at it. Oregon looked flat in the biggest game of its season. The first quarter was a nothing burger for the Ducks. I was incredibly disappointed at Oregon's inability to run the football. I was disappointed at Oregon's inability to stop Washington running the football. That surprised me. That was not something that I expected. I thought Oregon was the better team playing better football, and they showed up in Las Vegas and laid an egg early in the game. That said, their season's not over. They move on to an important bowl game and an opportunity to do what few teams in Oregon football history have done, uh, you know, post 12 wins in a season. Dan Lanning and the Ducks have some unfinished business, and it's not lost on me that the loser of the Pac-12 championship game is 0-11 all-time in its subsequent bowl game. This does not bode well for the Ducks. Now, typically, you see these teams, they, uh, they struggle with leadership, defections of players who are going into the portal or declaring for the NFL draft, or just the overall disappointment of being that close to a conference championship and now you have to readjust your expectations. And believe me, Oregon's got to readjust its expectations because Oregon drew in the Fiesta Bowl, not Oklahoma, not Missouri, not Penn State, not another highly ranked team. It drew number 23, Liberty. What was it? Give me liberty or give me death? No, it's give me liberty in the Fiesta Bowl for the Oregon Ducks. Now, I was bombarded immediately with questions from listeners and readers who wanted to know what in the hell or who in the hell is Liberty? Well, I'm glad you asked. Liberty has an enrollment of about 16,000 students. It was founded in the uh, early 1970s by Jerry Falwell. It's got a complex recent history. You can Google it. I'm not getting into that because I want to keep this about sports mostly. But Liberty's enrollment of 16,000 is supplemented by about 115,000 virtual students nationally. These are homeschooled kids who have gone on to college in some cases. And the homeschooled kids from Liberty will be playing in the Fiesta Bowl against the Oregon Ducks in a game that is easily, without question, the biggest challenge of Liberty's history in college football. This is a program that elevated to major college football just a couple of seasons ago is playing in the conference usa and plays teams like western kentucky and new mexico state this is not the pac-12 this is not power five conference football and in fact liberty did not play a single power five opponent this college football season and according to all of the indexes in the strength of schedule liberty had the worst strength of schedule of any program in the country they didn't play anybody, and now they're getting the Ducks. Now, I saw Oregon put 81 points on Portland State earlier in the season. I think there's a real chance that we see a bowl game record if Oregon shows up to play. Now, I know Duck fans are not excited about seeing Oregon play Liberty because they wanted to see Oregon play Georgia or Alabama or Florida State, or they wanted them to be mixed up in the college football playoff mess, and it would have been a mess. The way Oregon was playing on Friday, I'm here to tell you, there was no guarantee that the Ducks were going to end up in the college football playoff even if they beat Washington. Look at what happened, particularly the way that Oregon played in the first quarter. I said it last week, Oregon needed to leave no doubt 
Bo Nix needed to go out and win the Heisman Trophy on Friday. Oregon needed to make the college football playoff selection committee believe that they were the best team in America, and there's no way you could leave them out, and they didn't do that. So, you know, actions, consequences. I was taught that as a kid. University of Oregon's getting a bowl game. They're getting to go to Phoenix and Tempe and go play in the, in the Fiesta Bowl, and they're getting an opponent that they should clobber. I know that isn't the same as making the playoff and mixing it up with the likes of Alabama and Michigan and whoever else the committee decides on a whim is getting into the playoff these days. But if you're a Duck fan, I think you have to look at the trajectory of the program and Dan Lanning. This is not uh, on-the-job training. I don't want you to mistake it for that. But you need to look at the trajectory and ask yourself, is Oregon better situated than it was a year ago? And I think it is. I think it had a better season than it did a year ago. I think it's got a better bowl game, not a better bowl opponent, but a better bowl game than it did a year ago. The fact that the Ducks went from Holiday Bowl in Dan Lanning's first season and 10 wins to flirting with the college football playoff and playing in a conference championship game in year two is promising. He's got to get better. His team needed to be prepared better. The Ducks need to play better. Again, actions and consequences. It's not lost on any of us that Oregon just didn't play like it belonged in the playoff on Friday. That said... I like where Oregon is. I think they got the right coach. He's got to learn from this, and I can't wait to see what they do next. But before all that, they need to go give Liberty hell in this bowl game. Let's take some phone calls. 503-417-7575. That's the phone number. I want you to tell me, what did you see in the last 72 hours? What did you make of the... Transfer portal opening and 500 athletes jumping into the portal. I've got a rant on that I want to share with you. Can I rant for just a second before I take the first phone call? i got a rant on that. If you are among the college football fans that's disillusioned with 500-plus college football players jumping into the portal, exploiting in a system that was designated for them, um, you know... You're not alone. It bothers me, too. The timing of the portal, the timing of coaches leaving jobs, it doesn't work for college football fans. It works for players. It works for coaches who go to take jobs. Jonathan Smith leaves Oregon State for Michigan State. Works for him. But what does it do to the program trying to prepare for a bowl game, trying to retain talent? What does it do for players like Aiden Childs? The Oregon State quarterback. Are you blaming Aiden Childs today for jumping in the portal? You shouldn't. He's doing what was best for him. He's doing what his coach did. Jonathan Smith left Oregon State after Aiden Childs' freshman year. I'm not going to sit here and tell Aiden Childs, oh, you should have had more loyalty to your school because the guy who graduated from Oregon State, who was given his first head coaching job by Oregon State, took off and left Oregon State and left Aiden Childs behind. I'm not asking more loyalty and maturity and commitment from a player than I am from a coach. System's broken. A lot of us are turned off by it. Be turned off by it. It's okay. Seeing 500 players take advantage of what amounts to unrestricted free agency is a real dud for fans. And it's, you know, it's difficult to feel invested when the players and the coaches themselves are not invested. But let's not make the issue a player like Aiden Childs, who went to college, spent a freshman year at Oregon State, 
put in all the hard work, made you and I believe in him because we saw the talent that he had on the field. Uh, I'm looking at that kid and going, hey, go do what's best for yourself because guess what? Every other player in college football is going to do that, and your coach is going to do that. And if that best is staying at Oregon State, good on Oregon State for creating an environment that makes a player want to stick around. And if it's not, then, you know, that's a message to the institution. You know, retain your coach. Uh, control your own destiny. Um, that It's going to be a wild couple of years in college football. While we all look at what happens in the next round of realignment, while we all see what happens with the portal and name image likeness, while we all see what happens ultimately with all these lawsuits that purport to play players and change the compensation model, will coaches make less money? Will players share in that success? Will college football break away from the rest of the NCAA? I don't know what's going to happen. But I do know that the issue is not some 18-year-old kid in Corvallis, Oregon, saying, hey, my coach left. This doesn't feel like a great situation for me anymore. I need to either go with said coach to Michigan State or go somewhere else where I'm going to have an opportunity to really blossom and I feel comfortable, you know, that's the American way. And I'm not standing in Aiden Child's way, and you shouldn't either. Let's go out to the phone lines. I want to take some phone calls. Fired up about this. If you are uh, somebody who's blaming Aiden Childs, maybe you can talk me into that. But, I, you know, I'm not going to blame him for the system. Let's go to Roy in Portland. Roy, welcome to the show. How you doing, John? I mean, I got a lot of it, man. This this past hours, man, it's just been, you know what? This college football season was kind of disappointment. From Dion messing it up from the beginning with the media focusing on him to the end of the Pac-12, to my Georgia Bulldogs, man, we had a good run, man. Twenty-nine consecutive wins, two national championships. We we did it. We did it big. We did it big. But you know, unfortunately, we can't win them all. And you know, we'll be back. We'll be back, John. But um, you know, this whole this whole playoff Oregon. I told John, <laughs> I never thought that Oregon was going to be Washington. I just, I mean, Washington's got Oregon's number. Kalen DeBoer, man, that guy, Ryan Grubb, they just got a well-tuned machine. And I didn't think in the second rematch Oregon was going to beat them. I, you know, I was like, it's something to say what Washington did by going on the road and playing Oregon State, playing in a tough Arizona, you know, playing USC on the road. That's battle-hardened them, I think. Where Oregon, I don't know, they really didn't have that many tough road games. So I mean I I didn't really see Oregon I didn't really see Oregon beating Washington I didn't see him and for everybody all the Oregon fans that said if you uh, if Washington if Oregon beat Washington that was in the playoffs no they weren't because I told you what was going to happen just like Florida State got screwed they was going to screw Oregon too that's why they wanted Oregon to beat Washington I said the only chance the Pac-12 had to get in a national championship team was Washington being undefeated. That was the only because it, a one-win Oregon team, they was going to screw Oregon just like they screwed Florida State because they were going to try. I'm telling you, the, the scum, the, the, <laughs> these people at ESPN, man, they're just trash, man. ESPN and the committee, you cannot tell me they was not in cahoots with the SEC. Florida State deserved to be in there, man. You don't go 13-0, and, and, and I, can't, I cannot stand Alabama. Not because Alabama beat us, but I just cannot say. Now everybody gets to see how Alabama cheats, has been cheating all these, all these years, how they get the calls in the games, 
how they how they get the, how they wind up somehow magically wind up in the playoffs every year. Alabama did not deserve to be in the playoffs. Okay, they did not deserve to be in the playoffs. But what happened was ESPN, who controls the SEC media rights, the SEC network, they was not going to sit around for a month and let the SEC not be talked about while all these other teams was going to be in. So somebody had to get messed over. And that somebody was Florida State. And it's unfortunate because they saw that Texas, the only reason Texas got in, John, because Alabama couldn't get in without putting Texas in. Because right. Texas beat Alabama head-to-head. So they had yep. to put Texas in. So, I mean, that, 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 that that's the only reason. And, and I'm telling you, and I have friends say, oh, Georgia should be in. No, we shouldn't. Georgia shouldn't have been. We lost. We didn't even win the night. I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy we're not in. We didn't deserve to be in. But Alabama didn't deserve to be in either. But they I, were going to try. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, John, I feel if Oregon won and Alabama beat Georgia, they was going to use the same argument. Oh, yeah, Oregon wasn't going to get in. Yep. Yeah. They was going to try to get Georgia, Alabama, Texas, and Michigan in. And it's just unfortunate that these, these – I, I, they just – I hate to say it, John. They just scum, man. The same people that destroyed the Pac-12 is the same reason why you got Alabama and Texas in the playoffs, man. It's the media companies, the ESPNs, man. I, I, I want to know how much money that uh, Boo – what's his name? Boo, whatever his name is. I want to know what, how much money he got because the whole thing feels dirty to me, man. It feels like some type of backroom deal was cut. And, I, and you, you can't convince me no, no other way that it was. I, I, I'm just not buying it, man. I appreciate that, and I I agree with you. I think Oregon, and I said it. I said it on Friday's show. Oregon needed to leave, no doubt. They needed to beat Washington in a way that the committee could not keep them out. Because if you left the door open, and Alabama beat Georgia, the committee was going to have an incredible amount of pressure to put Alabama and Texas in. I tweeted on Saturday that I believed that it would go Washington, Michigan, Alabama, Texas, or Texas, Alabama, in that order. The only thing I missed was Washington ended up at two instead of one. It was obvious what they were going to do because they've done this all along. It's like kids on the playground picking sides, you know, rigging the game in their favor. Let's go to Dave, who's in Tumwater. Dave, welcome to the conversation. Thanks for taking my call, John. First of all, your associate who said that Oregon would be favored in a third game against UW. I agree. I, I disagree. See, I, I disagree. I don't yeah. see that at all. That that la- that late drive in the third quarter that was just uh, yeah that was that just demolished uh, Oregon. Uh, just uh, got out physical. And isn't it interesting too, John? And I'll get to the college playoff here. Just one other uh, a quick aside. Uh, I understand the Sun Bowl is already sold out. And isn't it interesting that poor little old Oregon State, and I'm a Beaver fan, as perhaps you know, uh, they end up in a far, far, far more interesting postseason matchup than the University of Oregon. I just find that sweet as all heck. So the college football playoff committee's mistake. I mean, let me ask, John, how many weeks ago did the Florida State quarterback get hurt? I mean, right. it was like after ten, week 10. So... That was the point at which they should have moved Florida State down below Ohio, uh, certainly below Ohio State after Ohio State lost to Michigan. And and so 
it's the transparency. You can, you can, if you study this close enough, you can see the machinations. They're trying to preserve potential, but their fatal error was not moving Florida State down a couple 100%. of weeks ago because 100%. that only put them in the embarrassing position they now find themselves in. Yeah. Their whole thing, their whole premise was they were trying, they were hoping and wishing, I think, that Florida State would lose and they wouldn't have to look like the bad guy. But by doing that and keeping Florida State where they were, they end up in a position where they box themselves into a corner where there was an expectation that, hey, this team's undefeated. It was it was good a week ago. It's not good now. Like, you know, the committee shouldn't have done that. Like, the better thing to do would have been to acknowledge, hey, look, they're undefeated. We're putting them in because they're undefeated. And committee members could have talked openly saying this was the year we needed a 12-team playoff. This thing's a farce. But this is the best that we can do. In the end, they're coming out now, and they're saying, hey, we just don't think that Florida State could win a national championship. Well, but, you know, you also had Georgia over Alabama, and you had Oregon over Washington in your conference championship games, didn't you? Jason's in Eugene. Jason, welcome. Hey, John. Sorry to switch gears a little bit from the playoffs, but I just drove past Austin Stadium down here. And uh, I just... I got to ask, can we petition somehow? I know it's very rare when it happens, but it does happen that when there's like direct interference by a referee during the play, you know, of a, of a game to replay the down. Like, it, you know, I know it was one play on one drive very early in the game, but we had a first down. We're going to hit a guy in stride, keep that first drive going. Who knows what happens after that? But it's like, I just just the fact that it goes as a scratch being like, sorry, I got in the way, my bad, uh, that's a lot of doubt for you. Um, you know, you see them sometimes they'll trip up a player, they'll, they'll run a screen by them, so, so they screen the defender off. I, I mean, when it's direct, like you have contact with the football, and we just lose the down. Anyway, that's, that's the end of my rant. No, you're welcome to have a rant, you're welcome to have a peeve. I'm here for you, you know? I don't think it's the biggest problem on the plate today. You know, how about the Niners-Eagles game? You got a, the head of security for the Eagles, you know, putting his hands on a 49ers player, who, by the way, uh, you know, did he punch back? I don't think so. If he wanted to punch the guy, he could have punched the guy. But he jabbed back at him. I think that was a case where the officials could have and should have said, hey, uh, we're going to mediate this here on the field. Head of security, get to your side. 49er player, get to your side. Stop putting your hands on each other. Uh, instead, they disqualify a player, and now you got a can of worms. It's you know sometimes it's better to not make a call and just mediate the situation, or or get any parent who's in the crowd and say, hey parents, come on in here, we need you to mediate this situation. Let's go to Dave in Portland. Dave, what's up? John, can I get a roll tide roll, baby? That's right. Alabama is right <laughs> where they belong, my guy. Right, the destiny, the ship is righted. The destiny. The, the dynasty is still alive and well. I love hearing the salty Georgia fans saying Alabama doesn't belong. Oh, they shouldn't be there. Florida State's more deserving. Come on, guys. Your boy Kirby is 1-5 against the GOAT. Alabama's right where they belong. Everything is right in the world. Now, being married to a Duck fan, i got to say, that who couldn't see this coming, man? Oregon never, never shows up for the big games. They always get beat. When it matters, it's 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 got to be hard being a Ducks fan and always seeing them choke, man. I just I don't know. I couldn't I couldn't fathom it because whenever it's on the line, you know, for us uh, it was it was Auburn, right? 
the, the, the fourth and goal. I knew we were going to make it. Come on now. And oh, I don't know. Uh, you lost at home to Texas by 10. Come on. We lost at home to Texas. That's fine. But we're going to have a chance to make that up, right? <laughs> so being in the playoff, having a chance to go all the way right where we're supposed to be, be the number one team in the country, have the highest uh, strength of schedule right behind Michigan, Alabama's right where they belong. I think Alabama's going to I think Alabama's going to embarrass Michigan. I think Alabama's going to pants him uh, at the Rose Bowl. I think he's right about that. Uh, I also think Washington, I like Washington over Texas. I think that game will be a lot closer, but I like Washington over Texas. More phone calls. 503-417-7575. Anna's in the studio. We've got uh, callers waiting to call and talk about, I guess they're already called. They they want to talk about uh, the college football playoff, Oregon's Poor performance on Friday in the conference championship game. Oregon State's hire of Trent Bray and Aiden Childs. If you missed it today, the freshman has jumped into the transfer portal. Looks like he's headed out of Oregon State. Uh, the Heisman finalists are in. The four finalists for the Heisman Trophy are LSU quarterback Jaden Daniels, Ohio State wide receiver Marvin Harrison Jr., Oregon quarterback Bo Nix, and Washington quarterback Michael Penix Jr. Now, I'm not supposed to say who's on my ballot, but all three of the proposed uh, finalists, uh, or the people on my ballot are finalists, and all three are quarterbacks. Can I say that? So that kind of tells you it's Jaden Daniels, Bo Nix, Michael Penix Jr. on my ballot, and we'll talk later about why that matters. I'm not saying what order. Just that they're on the ballot. Anna, do you have that? Yeah. Okay. I get it. We are gonna um, we are gonna uh, talk a little bit about this fiasco that happened on the airline, but we're gonna make people wait a segment for it because I need a whole five minutes to tell this story. <laughs> Stephen, kind of a scene on the Alaska Airlines outbound flight. I feel and like I, uh, when you guys go places together, there's always something that happens. Uh yeah, because it's like a it's like a real life curb your enthusiasm <laughs> existence that I live over here. <laughs> Whatever. It's I think that I was vilified unfairly. I think that's what happened. But we'll let the listeners decide. So, so Anna's just Cheryl right now and John yeah. is Larry. <laughs> Larry. Okay, let's go to the phone lines. Let's clear the phone lines. I want people to feel heard. Everybody's upset today, Anna, over Florida State being left out, playoff yeah. being a joke, mm-hmm. Oregon not mm-hmm. playing well. Yeah, yeah. Gary's in Tualatin. Gary, what's on your mind? Hey, John. Go Ducks. Um, I'm not so upset. I thought I'd be more upset about the loss, but I think Oregon really messed up the uh, the, the playoffs because they were planning on Oregon winning, knocking us out of the playoffs with one loss to Florida State's <laughs> no losses. And then they would have the perfect lineup in their book, which was Alabama, Texas, Florida State, and Michigan. Uh, we kind of messed that up when we lost to Washington because they couldn't very well bounce Washington with no losses. I'm more upset with the Liberty nonsense. Uh, how we end up going from you know being one of the top teams in the country, and we're playing this nobody no league team that if I don't care if we win or lose it. Uh, I, I would prefer the players didn't even play it because they would just protest this thing, that they would do something so obnoxious as this to really take the glory out of the whole season. 
Yeah, I, you know, last year it was USC that got paired with Tulane, but that Tulane team was pretty good. This Liberty team has played the weakest schedule in the country, and it's the biggest game in the history of Liberty's history, illustrious history that dates back to 1971 when uh, Reverend Jerry Faldwell said, call in and give me some money and let's form a university. And the kids at Liberty, those homeschool kids, are going to the big stage of the Fiesta Bowl. Now, Oregon put 81 on Portland State. I kind of would like to see Oregon send a message back that, hey, this team did not belong in, on the same field as us. Well, and for what it's worth, Dane Lanning did announce Bo Nix intends to play in this bowl game. Now, I think people keep asking me, like, is there NIL money attached to it? I hope so. I hope that all the players playing in the bowl games are getting a little taste of little piece of the action. Why are you making that face, Anna? I'm trying to understand what's in it for Bo Nix to play in this game. One more college game. Might be the last time he ever gets to start a football game. So the idea is maybe go out on a win? Go out on a win. Go play well. Have some fun with your teammates. And if the bowl game or somebody else is going to give you, you know, 25 grand to go play the game, go do it. You know, okay. I I could see. I think that's where it's gonna what's gonna happen. Like all the bowl partnerships are renegotiated in 2025. Okay, it's sort of in conjunction with the playoff expansion that was supposed to happen. And so all these bowl, like I asked, I reached out to like the Sun Bowl and the Vegas Bowl and all the Pac-12 affiliated bowls. What are you gonna do? And they said, you know, it's it's uh, it's about filling those slots in 2024, and then in 2025 everything gets renegotiated. So they can go back out and they can say, hey. Big Ten, Pac-12, we'll take your third-place team or whatever and try to put together a bowl game. But I kind of think the bowls are going to go back, and at that time, it's two years from now, I think they're going to say to the players, hey, everybody who plays in the game gets Mm $10,000. And suddenly now, it's an NIL win for the players. It's an NIL win for the universities because they can say, hey, you can go to a bowl game. You can make some extra money if you come to our school versus other schools. I think there's some opportunities there kind of think that's what's going to happen. For, for, for Bo Nix, like, I don't see him as a starter in the NFL. I don't even know if he can play in the NFL. Like, I, I think he can go, he can make a team, but he, this might be his last chance to start a football game. I don't know. Maybe, you know, maybe he proves this all wrong, gets to the next level, and he's Drew Brees. But I, I think Bo Nix is going to end up as a coach. I think that's really where he's going to thrive later in his career. I think he'll end up as a major college football coach. Mark my words. He's just got it. He's got a coach's mentality. I think he'll make a good coach. But, yeah, he gets a chance to play a game. You saw that. You saw that game on Friday. It was disappointing, and you were watching kind of the aftermath of it. You know, it was an interesting perspective. Yeah, and but I don't, you know, it's hard for me to tell. I don't have, obviously, your breadth of experience and knowledge on this, but it's hard to fathom that someone like Bo Nix, who until Friday was a leading Heisman contender wouldn't have a, at least a short career in the NFL as a quarterback that yeah. I just don't there's understand a, there's a how few that examples. doesn't translate there's a few examples of the Heisman trophy winner not being able to play I know that so it's just it's hard for my brain to compute that Tim Tebow yeah he's got to start some games I guess Saul is in Ridgefield Washington Saul welcome to the show hi hi John uh, I got a solution for the current mess in college uh, football, and I would like to follow up on the, uh, pro sports have a salary cap. Why not put a salary cap on NIL money? So if a team, if a school has more than two billion 
that they're spending on NIL that they lose scholarships and they drop their scholarship limit down from 85 to 75 or, or some other. And then if preferred walk-ons have to be counted against the 75. So you couldn't have a six-figure uh, NIL deal for a preferred uh, walk-on. Uh, what do you think of that idea? I've raised that idea to some of the folks who are around college athletics, and they think it would be illegal to try to limit the earnings of the athletes. I'm with you, you know, because I kind of think it's out of control. It's ridiculous. We're hearing about all these seven-figure deals that are going for quarterbacks. Like, I haven't seen a seven-figure deal for someone in the portal right now, but it won't surprise me if, like, Aiden Childs was promised seven figures by some collective somewhere, and so he decided to leave Oregon State. Cam Ward the same way. Um, But I did raise that question, and I got some serious pushback from people who said, hey, um, you, if you try to cap that, the players are going to go right to court and they're going to win because they're going to say, hey, how can you cap somebody's earnings? How can you tell um, you know, players in college football that they can't go out and get what the market tells them that they should earn? And so I think there's some serious uh, issues there with labor law. Craig's in West Lynn, Oregon, from the Mean Streets. What's up, Craig? John, uh, Anna, um, I just, uh, my comment was, Money and greed pretty much ruin everything eventually. I mean, if you look at live golf, you know, that is, that is a perfect example of how, you know, money just eventually destroys everything. <laughs> um, and it's, it's all about the money these days. Um, there's a reason why the rules were in place the way that they were for NCAA sports. Uh, the, and the fact that we're just bending the rules, you know, changing the rules, Eventually, it's going to ruin, you know, sports in general, you know, especially the gambling and stuff, the legalized gambling. Um, and then uh, lastly, I wanted to finish with just a question for you. Why do you think that neither Oregon State nor Washington State reacted or, or, or did something or put a plan in place when the Pac-12 was falling apart? I mean, can anybody blame Jonathan Smith for leaving when it, it, essentially it looked like he was going to be coaching a, a Mountain West team? You know, with half of the uh, finances and budget that a Pac-12 team would have. So that's that's my question to you, sir. Yeah. Jonathan Smith came to me on Pac-12 Media Day two summers ago and off-air asked me, what do you think is going to happen to the conference? He was concerned. And he he had right to be concerned. So there was awareness at Oregon State, and the administrators at Oregon State knew. I don't think it helped that F. King Alexander, who was an F. King disaster at Oregon State as the president, got run off. <laughs> I just wanted to say that one more time. He got run- I don't think it helped that he got run off because they had no oversight. Then they went with an interim president, and then Jayathi Murthy came in, and you know her world's spinning as she gets to campus. But I think she did everything that she could do within her power because when you're the president at Washington State, you're the president at Oregon State, the fact is when you're in that room with the Pac-12 CEO group, you got one vote. And you're up against a voting block that includes Oregon and Washington, that includes the two Arizona schools, that includes Utah. You know, start looking around the room for friends after a while. And I think some of this just was out of their control. Now, I think hindsight being 2020, I think the presidents at those schools probably wish that the move they made was to go to their state legislature early 
Washington had a proposed bill on the books months and months and months in front of the defection of Washington to the Big Ten Conference. The state of Washington, the legislators, had a bill on the books that they were going to push forward and make a law that would have prohibited Washington and Washington State from splitting. And yet, Kurt Schultz, the president of Washington State, and Anna-Marie Casse, the president of Washington, agreed, hey, we don't want to be pitted against each other. We don't want to have to go and testify and be pitted against each other. It was a mistake. And if you look at what happened in Oregon in 2011, state legislature allowed Oregon and Oregon State to have their own individual trustees. That bill got passed. It was a 29-to-1 vote. Nobody was thinking about athletics. But the fact that Oregon had its own board of trustees... Unlike the state of Arizona that had the Arizona Board of Regents that over has oversight over both Arizona and Arizona State, what did the Board of Regents tell Arizona and Arizona State? Hey, we don't care what you do, but you have to stay together. There was nobody in Oregon and nobody in Washington to tell the schools you have to stay together. Sorry, what's one, good for one is good for the other. And it was short-sighted by lawmakers in Oregon in particular because what happened? When Oregon left, Oregon State now has appeared in front of the legislature and said, we need $30 million. It's a $30 million error that the lawmakers in the state of Oregon made. And, and, and it may have far-reaching implications, much bigger than $30 million. And I don't blame Oregon for doing what was best for Oregon. Let me say that. Oregon has to do what's best for Oregon. But if they had a legislative body that had said, hey, you can't leave Oregon State, and Washington, you can't leave Washington State, um, I think the state as a, in whole would be better off. That would be what's doing best for the state of Washington. To answer your question, James is in Eugene. James, go ahead. John Heyman, how's it going? Going all right. Hey, so <clears throat> I I find it entertaining that Mike still calls in with his opinions because <laughs> it it uh I you know what you're allowed to have your opinion. This is a call-in show, and you take people's calls, but. It does make your show seem less educated when he continually calls in. And it yeah, seems but, like he, but he speaks for like someone. He speaks for someone. No. No. Okay, I guess. But it sounds like he maybe only listens to like the first 10 minutes of the show because he usually always calls in within like the first. He's like usually one of the first three or four people that calls in. And so he sometimes John, calls back, though. He calls back, we don't put him on. So that, you know, sometimes he well, does you call should, back. Yeah. You should not. All right, well, what, do you got, so, what do you got for you? Let's talk about you. What's on your mind? You said Oregon played nobody, right? And they had a cupcake schedule. I don't. I guess I don't understand the power rankings because I continually look up power rankings, uh, strength of schedule, and to me, Oregon on everything that I can find on the internet is in the top ten on strength of schedule and power rankings. So I, I don't know if like I'm not looking up the right thing, but I'm just typing in uh, college football strength of schedule, and it's got Ohio State, Alabama, LSU, Michigan, Texas, Penn State, Georgia, Washington, Oregon. So I. I don't know if I'm looking at the wrong thing, but it, it seems to me like Oregon actually kind of had a good schedule. But it, it just – when you were gone, I, I called in and talked to the other guys, and I was like, the thing that drives me crazy is that the SEC – like they don't dock the SEC teams for when they played a team that was ranked earlier in the season, and then that team becomes 6-5, and five, where then they still act like, oh, well, their strength of schedule is so good. They played Florida, and yeah. they played – but those teams aren't currently ranked anymore. Yeah. So you right. take into all the teams that Oregon played during the season that was ranked, whether they're still ranked currently or not, they played a lot of ranked opponents. 
Yeah, and, and you're speaking of something that I think confuses people because they go by where is the team in the final rankings. Oregon strength of schedule comes out at 52 overall. Washington is at 9. Alabama's at 5. And But it, Oregon can't control that. Oregon can't control the Texas Tech. You know, they made a bowl game, but they weren't great. They can't control that. You know, Colorado fell apart and the wheels came off. They can't control that Utah fell apart at the end of the season. You can't control those things. You can only play who's in front of you. I want you to leave it here. I got a story to tell next. All right, I'm going to start this story fast. I'm going to tell it. I appreciate you all listening to this show because you might think I'm a bad person at the end of this story. And if you do, then you might have a whole different viewpoint of me. Or maybe you'll think I was vilified and victimized. But last week, um, you may know that I traveled to Las Vegas and Anna traveled to Las Vegas to see the Pac-12 championship game. And we got on a flight on Wednesday and we're headed out. Now, I booked this airline ticket month, six weeks, eight weeks, six or eight weeks in advance. Knew I was going, didn't matter who, who was playing, I was going to this game, I was covering this game. And so when I went to book the ticket, I said to Anna, do you want to go to the Pac-12 championship game? Do you want to go to Las Vegas? I actually could use some help there. You know, you could do some photo editing. That will free me up to do some writing. She said, what? I said, okay. She said, okay. Double down. I went to book the ticket on Alaska Airlines, and I realized pretty quickly a lot of other people were already booked to Las Vegas. And I was kind of pigeonholed. And I ended up just going, what the hell? I'll book first class tickets at least on the outbound portion of the flight, so that, uh, you know, I can take my wife to Vegas and it'll be a uh, special thing. And I thought to myself, you know, this is going to be good. Well, I noticed we were booked and we were seated in row four, seats, I believe, D and F. All right, so we're in row four in first class, and I realize this is a first-world conversation. You're free to judge me. But we, as we got to the airport, I was checking my mobile boarding pass, and as we were actually walking to the gate to go down the jetway, the seat assignments changed. I suddenly realized we're in row one. Now, I don't care. I don't even care if you downgrade us, as long as you refund the difference in fare. But we moved from row four to row one. I noted to Anna as we're going down the jetway, well, we're in row one now. wonder what happened. So we uh, walked down the jetway. By the way, were you uh, thankful that we were in first class? How were you feeling about that? Very excited. You were real excited about that? That's a treat. It's a treat. Okay. So we're going to go sit in first class, and we're going to fly to Las Vegas. So we get on the plane, and most of the rest of the first class cabin is already there, and we sit down in row one. And it's a weird position to be in because then everybody who's getting on the plane is looking at you in, in row one, seats D and F. It's that left-hand first seat area. And the plane's full of Duck fans, so I'm getting a lot of people who are going, hey, go Ducks, and, you know, fist bumping me. Hey, I listen to the show, fist bumping, you know. And suddenly this couple that didn't look all that happy is on the plane. And the row had kind of backed up to the point where, like, they were standing beside me when the gentleman looked down at me, and, oh, he looked down, along with his wife, and he said, you stole my seats. I was a little confused. And I was kind of like, I didn't know if he was mad. I didn't know if he was kidding. I didn't know. And then suddenly I realized, and Anna, you picked it up quicker than I did. They were really upset. Yeah. They I were was, mad. I was very uncomfortable and also confused. But I was thinking to myself, like, I didn't take your seat. 
they just moved our seat. So I said to him as he's standing there, I said, you know, we were in row four, and suddenly we were told we were in row one. I didn't move anything. Then he took his focus off me, and he turned his ire, and his wife turned her ire towards the flight attendants, who, by the way, deserved a gold medal. All flight attendants deserve a gold medal. You know, a special place in heaven someday for all flight attendants where they don't have to deal with people. But the guy said, are we still going to get our food that we were supposed to get in first class over in coach? And the flight attendant said, I'll bring you a first class meal. So after he left, I said to the flight attendant, what happened? What, like we were in row four, we're in row one. What is he saying? And she said, well, we had to change aircraft. There was an aircraft change, and this plane only has three rows of first class. Therefore, it only has six seats, or 12 seats, rather, because there's two aisles. And she said the other plane had four rows. And it, very, it made sense to me. Like, the airline probably looked and said, okay, who was flying on an upgrade, or what was your fare code, and, you know, we're going to bump two people out, and we're going to make it work. So, obviously, they made it work however airlines made it work. I thought that was the end of it. I didn't feel all that bad about it. I didn't think about it again until I got to Vegas, and I got a notification that, you know, somebody on the uh, Bald Face Truth Facebook page had posted a message, a comment, a public comment from a lady named Karen. Now, her name is Karen. I want to be clear. And she wrote this. John Canzano, you are the most privileged man alive in Portland, Oregon, and I have never been more upset by the fact that you and your wife, who were both on the flight to Las Vegas on Wednesday, took my husband's and my first-class seat on our Alaska flight. I will never forget that day. I felt discriminated against by the way that you were able to get our first row first-class seats, and we had to go to coach. Why did you take our first-class seats? Question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark. I was very disappointed and became sick on the flight, too. You, John Canzano, needed to tell the airlines that you and your wife were willing to sit in coach, not us. No one informed us about this stupidity until it was time to board. Next time, do the right thing. Karen. That's Karen, if we're uh, not being clear. Now, I wanted to write back to Karen. Anna said, no, no, no. Just take a breath here. Let her know in a message that, uh, you know, it wasn't something intentional. It was... <laughs> She's mad about this. I'm sorry for her disappointment. I didn't steal your damn seat. I don't even care. Steven? Um, it sounds like the uh, the aircraft was the college football playoff committee. They had to keep. They had to kick someone out. You know, they couldn't. They couldn't put all four in there. What would you do? She became the Florida. State. She was Florida State. She deserved to be there. But you know what? Someone had to be bumped, and you were Alabama. What would you do if you were me? We're not Alabama. <laughs> we were not Alabama. Okay, Mich- then Michigan. Then I guess. I don't, know. <laughs> I don't know. That's not any better. What would you do? What would you do? No, I mean, there's nothing you can do in that situation. It's not like should you... we have gone to coach? No, no, not at all. I don't think you're in the wrong at all. I think I, I never don't... thought about it either. I don't think you were <laughs> victimized. Like you're not victimized. Like, uh, but I also don't think you should have done anything. You should have just apologized. Like, hey, you know what? They put us here. It's not my choice. I didn't do anything. That's what I wrote her. I wrote her back on Facebook, and I just said, hey, sorry, you're disappointed. This ruined your trip. Made you sick. Anna made me write this note. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Karen. I just think it's silly. Like, nobody stole your damn seat. Like, calm down. You it know? is, it take, is a very Larry David moment of you, though. <laughs> take it up with the airlines, for crying out loud. You can have 
whatever you know meal they were going to give to me, Karen. You know, I just uh, I just think it's interesting. People get upset. They get mad. Am I a bad person? Because I ha- I sat in that seat. I don't know. That lady named Karen on the airlines. You know, I don't know. Maybe I'm, it makes me not want to ever like upgrade. You know, I'm happy being a coach. I grew up in coach. I'm comfortable in coach. And if it makes Karen feel better, we flew back on Southwest. <laughs> and we were not, you know, A15. Oh, no, no, we weren't. <laughs> Sat in the middle of the plane. Had a crate with chickens in it at my feet. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I did that, too. I got no guff. For my Southwest flight back. Maybe I just need to stay on Southwest. I don't know. Why are you so uncomfortable with this? Because it just, it's like a, it makes my stomach really uncomfortable. You don't even don't, want people to know you were in first class. I, I don't like conflict. <laughs> I don't like elitism. It's like, uh, I could see how a bystander would see this whole conversation as extremely obnoxious. Yeah. Was, it, you know? was it like their first time ever in first class or something? I don't know. I don't know. Not that All that I know make a difference. I fly quite a bit, and so I don't know how the airline decides when they're going to displace somebody, but I would venture to say I got a good shot of staying where my seat is if they were looking at how many miles you've flown in your last year or your lifetime or something. I don't know. And I don't want to ruin her trip to Las Vegas, you know? I don't I don't want to I don't want to ruin the trip to the Vegas. I just, I was a little alarmed by the you stole my seat accusation, you know? Yeah. And I thought, you got to be kidding me. And and now I know what's going to happen. Anytime you, yeah, you out there listening, see me on an airplane, you're going to look at me and go, you stole my seat. <laughs> I know what's going to happen. And I love you for it. Oh. All right? Well, here we go. I still think Sh- you guys are Alabama. <laughs> I have a friend who was listening. He texted, and he and he said, first of all, he said, she just found out she's playing Liberty. <laughs> Second of all, he said, I love that she thought she was going to put you guys on blast. I, did, what was she doing? Why didn't she just message me or say something to me at the airport? Why Why post on my public Facebook page? Us. She wants to shame us. But wouldn't most people read her thing and be like, what happened, lady? Just call the airline. I don't know. Why I don't know. This guy? I don't know who her friends are. Maybe her friends will be just as indignant and think that we should have switched seats with her and gone to coach. What was her name? I forgot. <laughs> what was her name, Stephen? Uh, Karen, I believe that okay. was her. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Karen, Karen wants to talk about it. Karen, message me on Facebook. But that's the real Karen way to do it is to put, try to put you guys on the last. No, didn't work. I didn't feel any shame about it. I was a little bit confused, and then I was mad. And then I wanted to write some other things back, but my wife was like, let me read what you're going to write. No, we got to take that out. <laughs> Karen no. didn't know who she was messing with. <laughs> that doesn't work. No, no, you can't have that word in there. <laughs> That's how that conversation went. Let me see it before you post it. I don't know if you have a significant other. When you go to post on social media, who goes, uh-uh, I got to see that before you're going to post it. But I do. Sometimes you just need a voice of reason. <laughs> My laundered response you can find on the uh, Bald Face Truth Facebook page. Nobody's seen it. All right, let's do the five at five. We got five great stories to talk about. 
The Five at Five. And it's going to fire up the number one story as we see it. (laughs) Are you doing it? Number one. That's what you're going to do. All right. This uh, play had a lot of people screaming at their televisions. Um, The NFL is now reviewing the Dre Greenlaw and Eagles security head skirmish and ejections. Uh, They have a follow-up expected this week. So it was this okay. If you didn't see this, this was a San Francisco's 42 to 19 blowout win against the Eagles. Uh, weird situation with uh, 49ers linebacker and the Eagles head of security both ejected from the game because of this sideline scuffle. And now the NFL is saying that that it doesn't end there. Uh, discipline from the NFL could be coming as they report a follow-up with the Eagles could occur this week. Well, anybody who's been around football knows that the head of security for the Philadelphia Eagles should never have his hands on an opposing team's player. Shouldn't. You should be there to control your own guys or fans that are coming out of the stands. Okay, That's your job as head of security. You shouldn't have been in the middle of that thing. And so, I and, and here's the other thing. Greenlaw kind of jabs back at him with his left hand. Kind of just nicks him right in the nose just a little bit just a tweak of the nose if he wanted to hit that guy that guy wouldn't have been able to leave the way he left peacefully like if he wanted to really punch that guy there was going to be a mess on that sideline and so i kind of think the officials erred in not just saying hey security guy stay in your lane green law get back to the other side the personal foul stands although I think it was questionable. Personal foul stands because you, you threw the flag, you got to call the penalty. But nobody should have been disqualified because it's not fair to take the Niners' second-best linebacker and the Eagles' head of security and be like, those two have to leave. Number two. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know if we should be surprised or not. It is Florida. There's lawmakers there considering <laughs> protesting Florida State's omission from the college football playoff. They're already discussing legislation to protest what they see as a major snub. You got the governor, Ron DeSantis, saying that uh, they're going to do something about it. Now, interestingly, former FSU and Philadelphia Eagles player Corey Simon is now a Florida State senator. And he took his comments a step further. He's accusing corruption at the CFP called for a lawsuit relating to the decision. So Florida's apparently not going to go away quietly. This is what the CFP gets, and they're getting what they deserve. And for all the people who were upset and saying this is ridiculous today and over the weekend, of course, um, you know, good. Let the lawmakers do what lawmakers do now. They're just going to make trouble. Hold on. Hold on. This is very inconsistent. Well. Now you're going to Number three. Just all over the place. Um, Caleb Williams is going to skip the Holiday Bowl as he moles. Moles is such a funny verb. M-U-L-L-S. I'm mulling right now. He's mulling a potential leap to the NFL draft. Um, Does this surprise anyone? I don't know. He loves being the guy in the middle of this please woo me conversation. He's not going to play in the ball game. He's going to mull whether he's going to come back for another year. 
He has not um, officially declared this. It's his. He's going. There's too much money out there. He is going. He, you know, he's he's the top choice in the draft. He's hinted it'll be a game time decision. But this is like one of these kids that are, uh, you know, just going, "Hey, I, I want to be recruited." Still, no one's ever been recruited to the NFL. Well, let me be the first. I think it's ridiculous. Number four. Hey, how about that? Uh, Deion Sanders and longtime partner Tracy Edmonds have called off their engagement, but they will remain friends. Uh, they made this announcement over the weekend. They will move forward in life as friends. They make the decision with love in their hearts. This is what couples, celebrity couples are doing this these days. It's really interesting. It's like, it's okay. We're going to be fine. Keep us in your prayers. Thank you for being there all these years. Um, so she is a TV personality and producer who met Deion Sanders at a movie premiere back in 2012. They became an item, dated long distance for a long time. He proposed to her Valentine's Day of 2019, yeah. and now they're moving on. Do you know who she was married to before Coach Prime when she was dating him? Babyface. Babyface. Yeah. Now she's in the portal. Now she's in the portal. Does that mean? Well, and I guess he is too. Yeah, he's in the portal. They're both they're mutually in the portal. He'd like to thank Colorado Uni- you know, University for all the... Number five. God's plans now. <laughs> <laughs> this is five. Five. Uh, yeah, TJ Hushmanzada, Hush who we will know from his days here at Oregon, Oregon State. State. Yeah. Um, he says a woman is so obsessed with him that she changed her last name to Hushmanzada. And if you know how <laughs> Hushmanzada is spelled, that's a commitment. But he says that. He's, she's trying to get closer to him, and now he wants a court order for her to stay away from him. This is a 53-year-old woman who's been making life miserable for him and his family since at least 2015. What has she done? Uh, contacted the wife, legally changed her, her surname to Hushmanzada, and then is just uh, obsessed. It poses as the mother of his kids online, sends harassing mail and personal items to his has home. Has she threatened him or the kids physically? Uh, he once received a letter from her in which she stated that she had several bullets inscribed with the names of each member of okay. the Hushmanzada family. That's a threat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, her changing the name is weird, but the other stuff is really scary. Mm-hmm. So, glad he has the restraining order. That's a good five at five, Anna. Yeah. Solid five at five. Mm-hmm. You're in my seat, though. You what? stole my seat. Oh. <laughs> there you go. All right. <laughs> We're back with another great show tomorrow. We got a Monday night football game ahead.